Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I don't know if you've ever, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, but, but I, at the moment in my life, I'm in a season of weddings. Maybe, you've, uh, maybe if you haven't experienced it yet, wait, because at some point you will. Um, I'm, I'm now 24 and two-thirds years old, and I'm of an age, obviously, um, when lots of people my age, lots of friends who finished university, stayed around in the city, are getting married. Um, B is getting very nervous and squirmy in her seat, because she's getting married next week. Um, <laughs> woo, to David on the sound desk. So if I say anything totally inappropriate about weddings or about their wedding, David has the power to come just turn off my volume. <laughs> but I'm in a season of weddings, and, and weddings are brilliant, aren't they? Aren't they exciting? Yesterday I was at a stag party, David's stag party. I'm still covered in the, um, the pellet, kind of the paintball gun round bull, uh, bruises on my body. Um, don't worry, B, David was wearing full armor, so he's going to be great for next week. Sorted. Don't, don't guys, come on, I've just started. <laughs> don't go there. This David is the, um, is the best man speech I would have given if I'd been asked to be best man. <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> Apparently, the average UK wedding costs £19,000. I know, isn't that unbelievable? And, and weddings are interesting because there aren't many covenant relationships that our society still holds on to and still values. But £19,000 a wedding suggests that, that marriage at least, or at least the wedding day, is a covenant which is still held in pretty high esteem. And, and there's this picture, and we'll get to it, there's this picture in scripture of a wedding of a wedding between Jesus and the church. So you guys tonight are the bride. You guys are the bride. And one day Jesus will marry his bride. That's what the Bible tells us. It's sometimes called um, the, this, this idea of a party at the end of time, a celebration, a marriage, is called the messianic banquet. The Messiah the father throwing a party because his son's getting married to the church. And so, as we get to the parable, if you've got a Bible, we're going to go to Matthew 22. It will also appear behind me, I'm sure, but if you've got a Bible, you can follow it. The people to whom Jesus is speaking are waiting for the Messiah. And they have lots of questions about this, this messianic banquet, this promised Celebration at the end of time. And who's going to get invited is the big question. Who's going to be there at the party? See, in, in Isaiah 25, we read it in the Bible, that this prophet called Isaiah is talking about the end times. And he says, one day it's going to be like God's on top of a mountain and he calls people from all nations to himself. And there will be an end to death. And there will be an amazing party. 
But who gets invited? And the religious leaders of Jesus' day would have been asking that question. Who gets invited? Who gets to go to the party? Who gets invited into this new thing which the Messiah will create called the kingdom of God? And Jesus arrives onto the scene. And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, I'm here to establish it on earth now. It's not yet here in its entirety, but I'm here to initiate it. Often in in Middle Eastern culture, the tradition would be that when a, a rabbi, which Jesus was, a man with a following, a religious teacher, came to a new place, a town or a village, the local leaders, which were often the religious leaders, would have that person around their dinner table. They wanted to vet them. They wanted to ask them questions about their theology, about their doctrine, about what they believed about the Bible. And the top of the list of the questions that they loved to ask was, who gets invited to this banquet? Who gets to be in? Who gets to be part of this thing called the kingdom of God? Who gets to be part of this thing with God? Who gets relationship with him? And so Jesus tells a parable. And he often told parables. He loved telling these stories. And a parable is kind of like a a story that, that he invites us, the listener, as he did then, to enter into, that we might view the world differently by looking out of all the windows of the parable that Jesus has created for us. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to step into the parable. It's a tricky one. And we're going to see what we see when we look out of the windows. So if you've got a Bible, I'm going to read from Matthew 22. This is the parable of the wedding banquet. It begins, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner My oxen and fattened calf, cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are invited, but few are chosen. I think we need God's help to understand what this is all about. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. 
would you come and would you be present with us here? And would you speak to us through your word? More than my words and the things that I've prepared, God, we want to hear from you. We want to know what what you've got to say to each of us individually. We know that only you can speak into each of our situations, each of our lives, each of our hearts in the way that you do. And so we invite you to do that. We pray that you'd make your word dynamic and real to us right now. And maybe just where you are, as our eyes are closed, you just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Maybe you want to open your hands in front of you as a sign that you're open to what he might do. Just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? You're welcome here. Would you teach me? Would you talk to me through this? And in this we pray, would Jesus' name be lifted high? Would your name, Jesus, be glorified? Amen. Amen. Any parable that ends with weeping and gnashing of teeth is going to be a tricky one, isn't it? And so we need God's help understanding what's going on here. It begins with God the Father throwing a banquet for his son. We talked about that before. The messianic banquet. And God is calling people to himself. And as the parable begins, we realize that that he's actually already begun to call some people to himself. He says to the first set of servants, go out and bring in the invited guests. Those guests who have already been invited. The people he's talking about here are the religious leaders. The Jewish people, the tribe of Israel. And in fact, the way that it was done in Middle Eastern culture, much like today, is you'd kind of do a head count of all the guests who were going to be coming. And these, these religious leaders, these people, had obviously been invited. And they'd said they were going to come because, because we read that, that the animals have been slaughtered and butchered and the meal is, has been prepared. And it's only when the meal has been prepared that the servants are then sent to collect the invited guests. And when they go to collect the invited guests, they make their excuses. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a field to look after. Or I've got my business to take care of. I mean, imagine what, I mean, I'm trying to picture what that would look like for us today. I guess it's like being invited to a dinner party and turning up at someone's house and sitting around the table. And then they bring the food in and they serve it on the table. And just as you're about to begin your dinner, you make an excuse and leave. Sorry, I've, um, I've got some bills at home that need to be paid. They can't wait. Sorry, I was expecting a phone call and I, I should probably go and make it. Or, or my TV's at home, pretty lonely, and I should get back and watch it because no one else will. That was a joke. <laughs> Thanks. See, these leaders have rebelled and chosen their own way. Perhaps it's complacency. But you see, these religious leaders met with Jesus and said, no thanks. They heard the invitation and said, not for us. They've rejected Jesus. Why? Well, well maybe they're, they're prioritizing their own comfort. We, we like things the way they are. 
and we don't want things to change. Maybe they're too busy with their own to-do list. I've got to look after my business. I've got to care to my field. I think there's a significant warning in this for us at the very beginning of this parable. And it's a simple one. Don't be too busy for God. When the invitation comes, don't be too busy for God. One of my favorite authors is a guy called Tozer. And he said that what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if we never engage, if we're always too busy, if we're always just doing that next thing on our to-do list, and if we never make space to answer the invitation of God, well, then we're missing out on the most significant thing about us. And and what does God do? What does the host do when these guys don't turn up? Well, he said, "If if you're not interested, if you won't receive my invitation, then don't. I'm going to open up my invitation to others. I love it. There's, there's a bit where, in the parable we read where Jesus is speaking and he says, if they won't come, then let's fill the hall with some other people. Let's fill up the hall. And, and God sent, I love this, God sent the most elaborate invitation ever to you and me. His name is Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, today we have save the dates and then invitations, which is a whole complex idea that I, I don't want to get into. But, but, but God sent his own son from heaven to earth as an invitation to ask each of us, all of us, do you want relationship with God? Do you want to be part of this kingdom? Do you want to sit around the banquet table with me? That's a pretty fancy invitation. It's a pretty costly invitation. And God invites the most unlikely people. We read in verse 9 that the the, the servants for the second time, when the other guests say no, they're sent out to the street corners. Now as it does now, the street corners had a reputation then. So if you think about the kind of people who work on street corners... Those are the people that that God is inviting to his party. We read that he wants to invite the good and the bad. The good and the bad. Well, who does that include? Well, it includes the good and the bad. So maybe you grew up in church and you've never set a foot wrong in your life. Maybe you're the kind of person who worships with your arms in the air, even during the verses. Maybe you're that kind of person. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cynical, sinful person, but you know when someone's really holy, when they worship with their arms in the air, even when they've got massive sweat patches under their arms? Maybe it's just me who's noticed that. Um, again, a joke. I'm not being serious. Or maybe, maybe, actually, you came in here tonight having just wandered in from one of the strip clubs across the street. Well, God says... Through Jesus, you are invited. If you hear nothing else tonight, hear this. Good or bad, whatever your background, whoever you are, I don't know you, not all of you. You are invited. 
which is good news. Isn't it? Good. So any idea, and we have this idea sometimes, any idea that we need to clean ourselves up or we need to get moral before we can get God is rubbish. Because just as you are, good or bad, you're invited. So how then, how do we respond to this gracious invitation? Uh, A friend was telling me um, that that regularly he runs a car boot, car boot sale. Scott knows this guy. Um, A friend more to Scott than to me, I think, but it's a good story, so I'm going to steal it. And this guy runs a car boot sale, and he was telling, he was telling me that he often um, will, will choose something valuable and place it on the stall. So the, on the occasion that I was chatting to him, he was telling me that he'd ha- he had an antique watch, a really valuable and precious thing to him. He'd had it for years, a little pocket watch. And he took it to this car boot sale, and he placed it on, on the table in front of him. And all day, people came to look at this watch, and of all the things on the table, they were interested in this watch and they picked it up and looked at it and he told them the story and how precious it was to him and all day it sat there and no one bought it the reason being that he said that there was a special thing and a special requirement about purchasing this watch he said to people if you want this watch which is so valuable to me the price is this you have to take it for free I'll accept no money for it It's a gift, a gift of grace. If you want it, that's the cost. You've got to take it for free. And it sat there all day. What does that tell us about us? About our pride? About the fact that we hate to be indebted to other people? About how stubborn we are when it comes to receiving a free gift? Because it sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, God invites us to a banquet that we can never repay. We could spend eternity in the kitchen washing dishes and never repay our seat at the table because it's a gift. An entry to this kingdom can't be earned. It's called grace. And so it's an invitation that we need to reply to. The answer is simple. Yes. That's what we need to do. Yes. All are invited. But, but this is God's kingdom. And he sets the rules. And there's a dress code. So everyone is invited. But in order to belong in this kingdom, in order to know relationship with God, it gets a little bit more complicated. Because the parable tells us we have to be wearing the right clothes. Because the guest who wasn't wearing the right clothes, well, look what happened to him. He gets thrown out. Have you ever felt underdressed? Awkward, isn't it? Suddenly, the the shoes that you thought were okay begin to look more and more shabby. The, The shirt that you thought was okay for the occasion begins to look incredibly creased. The last time I preached, I wore um, trainers and a t-shirt. So I'm wearing shirt and shoes tonight. I hope that's okay. I didn't want to feel underdressed for the occasion. 
And, and this is about as ironed and as crease-free this shirt will ever get because I just bought it and this is the first time I'm wearing it. <laughs> just thought I'd make an effort for you guys. You're worth it. But it's awkward, isn't it? And, and then the same is true of this banquet. If we, as we are in our own clothes, were brought before the holiness of God, how unworthy would we feel? Suddenly we'd begin to look at our lives and pick holes. Man, this, this jumper looks really worn. Although those, that t-shirt isn't as white as it used to be. When you look at our lives, are any of us worthy to sit at the table with Jesus? To sit around and celebrate this banquet? But, but, the guests at Middle Eastern weddings, which is critical to understand in the context here, were clothed by the host. So in the same way that David and B have very graciously paid for their bridesmaids and their ushers to turn up in matching outfits, in fact, in the Middle Eastern culture, it was tradition for the host, the father, to clothe every single guest That's good news too. We read in Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And so we're invited. But we're also clothed. So that we don't feel foolish sitting around the table with the creator of the universe. We read in the Bible that that God made him. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. That's what we're talking about here. We get clothed in the righteousness of God. So God looks on you and me through Jesus and he sees his own perfection. That's why we sing songs about wearing royal robes we don't deserve. We're invited and we're clothed so that we can stand before the host unashamed. So why, why on earth does this particular guest refuse to wear the garments offered to him? Why isn't he wearing the wedding clothes like everybody else? I think... I think the reason is that he thinks that his own righteousness is enough. I think that he thinks that that he'll get by with his own clothes. He doesn't need the new clothes offered to him by the host. He can get by wearing what he's already wearing. Perhaps he's compared himself to some other people. He's seen some of the dodgy characters making their way into the party. And said, well, I certainly look better than them. I don't need to put on any other robes. I'm going to go in as I am. He thinks that his own righteousness is sufficient. And he turns up and gets inside and he's left speechless. My friend, the host asks him, 
Why aren't you wearing wedding clothes? Speechless. Can't give an answer. And I'll I'll concede that that wearing the righteousness of Christ doesn't sound like normal party-going wear, does it? What are you wearing on Saturday night? Nothing, except for the righteousness of Christ. It's a bit odd, isn't it? So what what on earth does that mean? What does it mean to wear the righteousness of Christ? Well, I I was talking to a friend this week, and this friend um, likes Jesus. He's really interested in Jesus but doesn't like the idea of having to become a Christian. I've been there. He has questions like, does becoming a Christian mean you suddenly have to live under all these expectations? Do you have to get moral? Do I have to sign away my individuality? Do I have to become a slave to God? Is that what it means to become a Christian? Is and are these wedding clothes, these, this righteousness of Christ which we come under, are they in fact a straitjacket that we're left to wear? The question really is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And it's, it's counterintuitive because we think that freedom is found when we're completely without restriction when we're completely unbound, when we have complete choice at any moment, when we come under no authority, that's when we're free. That's what we think. But we're always bound to something. Always. So we think, well, I'm I'm free to pursue my desires, but I'm bound to my desires. I'm free to pursue my ambitions, but then I become a slave to my ambitions, to my relationships, to my work, to my money. I'm free, I'm free to pursue sex and alcohol until I become addicted to both because they leave me bound. Real freedom, real freedom is found in binding ourselves to Jesus. That's where real freedom is found. Living under his kingship in his kingdom. Free. Free from fear. Free from perfectionism. And in relationship and bound directly to the creator of the universe. Because Jesus is God and this is what you were made for. The word easy appears very few times in the Bible. It appears, I think, three times in the New Testament. And on two of those occasions, it's it's talking about this quote, this thing that Jesus said. We read it in Matthew 11. Jesus said this, My yoke is easy and burden is light. My yoke is easy and burden is light. And the yoke uh, was like a, a wooden board and a kind of the straps that were put on oxen as they plowed a field. But it's not just that. The yoke is also the measurement and the fit of formal attire. So my shoulders width measurement is my yoke. And so the garments I place on, I'm resting them across my shoulders. That's the yoke that I carry. And so I think here, Jesus is saying, living under my rule, being bound to me, wearing the garments that I provide, 
are not a straitjacket. In fact, we read it there. My yoke is easy and burden is light. It leads to freedom. It's light and it's easy. Paul writes in Ephesians, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Following Jesus means choosing to pursue him in every area of our lives. But this guest, this guest is unwilling to part with some of his old clothes. He likes the invitation, it seems, because he's accepted it. He wants to be at the party, but when he gets there, he, he refuses to wear the garments offered to him. He says, I'm going to get by as I am. I quite like the life I've built for myself. If God can be an, a plus one, if Jesus can be an extra addition, if I can get forgiveness and get that stuff without having to be bound to anything, then that's what I want to do. He's never truly repented. He's never truly turned from his old way of life, the old man, as Paul puts it. He's taken some of Jesus, but he wants to live in the kingdom of God on his own terms. But God says there's a dress code. We can be like that. I'll take some of Jesus. I'll take some of that forgiveness. Awesome. I'll take some of that salvation. I'll take some of that eternal life, but, but not if it inconveniences the life I've already set up for myself. Not if it clashes with my ego or my aspirations outside of God. No way. I still want to be God of my own universe. I still want to call the shots. I'll take the invitation, but I don't want Jesus to be the authority of my life. It's the difference between knowing him as saviour and knowing him as Lord. Great, saviour, he saves me. Absolutely, absolutely, he invites us. But Lord, well that means submitting to something. That means taking off the old garments and putting on the new. And this guy's unwilling to do it. What is your response to the invitation of God? How do you respond? When it comes to your turn to be invited, which all of us are today, Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. You can reach out and touch it. You are invited right now. Will you find yourself staying at home and missing the party? Too busy, disengaged? Or will you find yourself washing pots in the kitchen, trying to earn back something that was a free gift of grace? Something that God has already won for you? Or will you find yourself in the party, hiding in the corner, wearing beat-up old clothes because you're too ashamed to go before the host, and you're too foolish to take off the old clothes and put on the new? Or are we out on the dance floor, pursuing the host, receiving his invitation and living under his righteousness, wearing his yoke? So tonight you're invited into his kingdom to know him, 
If you've never responded to it, there's no better time than now. And some of us, some of us have said yes to the invitation, but we're still clutching on to the old clothes that we need to let go. We think we're free often, but find ourselves becoming bound again and again because real freedom is found in binding ourselves to Jesus. And so he invites us to life and to freedom. I'm going to pray for us and the band are going to join us and lead us in worship again. Why don't you stand with me if you're able. Great, let's pray. Lord, we don't want to miss out on your invitation. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you that through him we are invited. Thank you that through him you've made a way for us to know you, God. And thank you that it's your desire to not just leave us as we are, uncomfortable, awkward, underdressed, but you love to graciously and patiently clothe us in your righteousness. And so we just open ourselves up to you, God, and pray that you would speak to us. Where what I've said has been unhelpful or anything in that I've said that's not from you, we just pray that it would just not sink in, would wash away. But what has come out of your word and is convicted by your Holy Spirit, we pray that it would stick, that it would bug us, that it would poke us, and it would make us respond to you. Yeah, Lord, we want, to, we want to be around that table with you to celebrate. We want to banquet with you. And so would you help us where we've held on to unhelpful things? And would you help us where we need to take a step of faith that we might find freedom in you? Would you give us boldness? Holy Spirit, would you come? Amen.